Save big money on your next project with help from Menards. Move water where you need it quickly with a Barracuda sump pump. Sump pumps keep your basement dry when big storms hit unexpectedly. Get a half-horsepower cast iron Barracuda sump pump on sale now through May 5th. Hurry into Menards and don't forget to check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. Superman, Shaq Diesel, the big Aristotle. When you are over seven feet tall, you get to be called whatever you want. Of course, we all know his true identity. He's NBA Hall of Famer Shaquille O'Neal. Shaq was just 20 years old when the Orlando Magic chose him as the first overall pick in the 1992 draft. He went on to be one of the most dominant players in NBA history, winning four championships. God bless Shaq with the gift of height, but his physical advantages didn't automatically guarantee him success. He needed to grow in other ways to win both on and off the court. Born to a young, unwed mother, Shaquille grew up without his biological father. His mother married his stepfather, Philip Arthur Harrison, when Shaq was just two years old. Their connection was deep, so deep that even now, when Shaq mentions his father, he's speaking about Philip. Shaq credits both his dad and mom with encouraging him to strive for greatness and ultimately for achieving it. Everybody has a story and there is something to be learned from every experience. Use your life as a class. This is Masterclass with Shaquille O'Neal. My mother is my best friend. My mother uh, had me when she was very young. Uh, her mother was so religious that when she had me out of wedlock, the family kind of turned the cold shoulder. So we were we were alone for a while, you know, just going from place to place, living with Aunt Velma, Uncle Roy, Aunt Vivi, Aunt Ruby. So one day I finally asked my mother, I said, you know, we, we, we have Brian's and Kenny's and Mike's and Greg's in our family. Why'd you name me Shaquille? And she said, I wanted to name you something that, that meant something. My name is Shaquille Rashan O'Neal. Shaquille is an Islamic name. It means little. Rashan means warrior. She said, you're my little warrior. I fought with you. I fought for you. She tells me a story that as a two-year-old, I was very, very oversized for a two-year-old. So, of course, you know, kids three and under ride a bus free. So she would drag me up to the bus, and the guy was like, hey, you got to pay the extra money. And my mom would say, no, he's only two. So I actually seen her fist fight with a bus driver one time because the bus driver, uh, you know, refused to believe that I was two years old. She's my best friend. Uh, she's the only one that can keep me out of trouble. She's the only one that I, that I always listen to. Like, you know, uh, I'm a megastar and, you know, I do it my own way. You know, she raised me to, to do it my own way. But if I ever make a mistake or do something wrong, She's one of the few people that when they call and speak, I listen and I understand and I never talk back. When you're the tallest, strongest kid and you walk in the gym, people automatically expect you to be the best. Oh, he's 6'9". Shaquille O'Neal at 6'9", was a terrible player. I couldn't dunk. I was uncoordinated. I had no confidence. 
But because I'm 6'9", I was like, let me try out for the team. Try out for the team. That's the worst tryouts in tryouts history. I get cut. Now I'm down because the dreams that I'm cultivating in my mind, in my room of becoming an NBA player, it's not looking too good. But I still want to play. I still love to play. And my father was in the military, so we moved around a lot. And uh, when we moved to Germany, they had uh, something that was similar to Boys and Girls Club. It's called DYA in Europe, uh, Dependent Youth Activities. And my first coach uh, outside my father was a gentleman by the name of Ford McMurtry. And there was a, another guy on my team. His name is Mitch Riles. And this guy looked exactly like Larry Bird. It's crazy. He looked exactly like Larry Bird. But me and him used to play every day. I was Magic Johnson, he was Larry Bird. And we'd battle every day. We'd fist fight and we'd call each other names and I hate you. And then, all right, see you tomorrow, I love you. And by doing that with him every day, next thing I know, I was a hell of a player. We won the DYA championship two years in a row. And then we get the call, you're moving to Texas. So I get to Texas and I get to the school and I, I tell the coach, I said, I've never played high school basketball, but I was uh, all Europe in DYA. And he's like, okay. And he threw me some football pads and said, go out and do football drills. So after they leave, I just practice, 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 practice. Go back to the gym every day. And you know, you got a, you got a 14 year old kid playing against 18, 19 year old men, 20 year old men. And they're beating me up and they're throwing me around and calling me soft and calling me wimps and calling me all types of names. But being raised by a drill sergeant, you're, you're programmed never to quit. Junior year comes around. I'm getting to be really good, really good. So I get on the team, we got some characters on the team. We go 35 and one. And the one is my fault. In a championship game, I get into foul trouble and I'm, I'm, I'm stiff, I can't play. And the coach puts me back in and the guys foul me and I miss two free throws and we lose. But I didn't quit. So now I'm just play every day and boom, 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 boom. Then my senior year, I go 36 and 0 because, you know, all the mental abuse and, you know, all the stuff that I was uh, teaching myself to do, it finally came around. Like I just get in and turn around and shoot and it's there. I get it and go up and dunk and it was there. And then when you start winning, everything starts feeling good. The girls start recognizing you. Hi, Shaq. I got the little leather jacket, the teachers. And I was finally getting, I was finally getting getting some respect and I was like you know what maybe I can do it maybe I, I can maybe I can do this this NBA thing that only 10% of kids get the opportunity to do maybe I can do it you know when I became a high school all-american it was no better feeling than walking around the city being a local hero kids ask me all all the time my story and I tell them my story and it's kind of similar to Michael Jordan's story Michael Jordan was cut also Keep in mind that before you succeed, you must first learn to fail. Walking to the top of the mountain, is, is, it ain't gonna be a straight path. You got rocks, you got slides, you got snow, you got altitude, and you have to fight through all that if you wanna reach the top of the mountain. And once you get to the top of the mountain, there's something no one can ever take away from you. We put so much pressure on our children to win. Win at this, do this, do this. And you know, as a little kid, you love to 
have that trophy. You love to be at the trophy ceremony and to get little trophies. So my father taught me how to play my favorite sports, taught me how to play football. I won the punt, pass, and kick contest. Taught me how to play baseball, t-ball. I used to hit a lot of home runs. Taught me how to play basketball. He was, he was my coach from, I would say, from age 8 to 14 years old. So one time, I, I want to say I was 10 years old, we were playing, uh, we were in a championship game. So I would usually start the game off, me and my guys, then he put the guys that couldn't play, put them in, and then, you know, we finished the game. But he flip-flopped it this time, and my father takes me out, and he puts in a couple guys that couldn't play, and we lost the championship. And, you know, I got the second-place trophy, and I was pretty upset, and I asked him, I said, why did you do that? And he said, listen, it's not about you all the time. These kids, you know, they come, they practice hard, they do the same drills that you do. They wanted to play. It's not all about winning. I was like, but I was trying to win win the number one trophy. He said, you win the number one trophy when you go to college and when you go to the NBA. Don't worry about it. And when he ended it with don't worry about it, I had no choice but not to worry about it. And the crazy thing is the same thing happened to me. I'm coaching my son's team, little Sharif's team. It's a championship game. We're undefeated. By the way, they call me the Phil Jackson of Little League. Uh, so we're undefeated, and we get in the championship game. And, you know, guys that didn't really play, I put them in the game, and we lose the game by two. And the guys were, were uh, very upset, and I said, listen, you know, you know, I told them a story. And to make them not be mad at me, I had to take them to Hooters. So, so, so you know, once I took them to Hooters, they loved me again. But, yeah, the same thing happened to me. <laughs> in order to win a championship in life, in business, in sports, you must utilize your teammates all the time, every time. You know, you can't have the lone wolf mentality. Even though it's my team, but I can't score all the points, I can't get all the rebounds, I can't get all the skills, so gotta kick it out to Penny. Gotta kick it out to D. Scott. Gotta kick it out to Nick Anderson. You have to utilize your teammates. And if everybody's eating at the buffet, nobody will go hungry. I just can't go to the buffet by myself and be like, no, you don't get no macaroni, no cornbread. Back up. Can't do that. Hey, man, you want a piece? You want this or that? Everybody eats. That was always my motto. Everybody eats. <laughs> In every relationship, communication is always important. If you don't communicate, the relationship will end sooner than later. I was in Orlando, and I was fortunate enough to, to be asked to be in a movie. And all my contracts, we, we can't start shooting till, till 12 or 1. Why? Because I got to work out from 9 to 11. Every day I got to work out. So, so we're shooting a basketball movie. That's easy. We work out 9 to 11 in the gym. So the first day I get to the gym, they put me and Penny on this team. And I thought he was an actor. But this kid was like a baby Magic Johnson. Like his passes were... It was, it was just throwing him, just doing everything right, and he would only come down and look for me. You know, like somebody programmed him, when you get out there, just throw the ball to Shaq. Like I throw it back out, repost, repost, big fella, huh? Repost, get deeper. Get deep, he throw it back in. So finally I, I, I get back and I said, hey, uh, Uncle Mike, who's Penny Hardaway? Man, young kid out of Memphis. Y'all ain't gonna be able to get him, though. Once I say, why? Because y'all got the first pick, you probably gonna have to go with C-Webb. I don't think you don't see where it work out. I think you should go have a conversation with ownership. And, you know, you always hear about the star players being able to also help management make moves. 
Let me test it out. John Gabriel, uh, I'm shooting a movie, as you probably already know, I'm with this guy, Penny Hardaway. We need him. You know, we need a point guard. We, we need to get him. All right, we'll see what they can do. So we shoot the movie. We complete the movie. Draft day comes. Wait, we uh, wait. We have an announcement. The Golden State Warriors have traded Penny Hardaway to Orlando for the rights to Chris Webber. They took care of me. So we get there. We have a beautiful relationship. Never had an argument, never had a fight. He passes to me, I throw it to him. At the end of my four years, Penny's deal was up and he actually set out. He set out uh, until they paid him. And I was a supporter, say, hey man, pay the man what he wants. So Penny gets uh, a lot of money. And when my deal was, was up, they didn't want to give me the money that I wanted. And they said it was Penny's team. I was like, oh, it's Penny's team? So instead of me talking to Penny, asking him what he wanted, ego kicked in a little bit. And then I tested out free agency and uh, became a, a Los Angeles Laker, a team that I watched as a youngster. But I think if I would have communicated with him and a little bit more with the organization, I think it would probably would have turned out different. I probably would have started in Orlando and ended my career in Orlando. I figured out from watching all the other greats, can't do it by yourself. Magic Johnson and Kareem, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, Patrick Ewan and John Starks. So I needed a sidekick. And this guy was the perfect one because he always looked for me. You know, he was the type of player that always liked to pass before he liked to shoot. So on the court, we never had a problem. Like we never had an argument. It was, it was awesome. I kind of hate that it ended the way it did. I just felt that when I was trying to get my money, I just didn't feel the same support. So instead of communicating that to him, because he probably was busy, he probably wasn't even thinking about it. Like Shaq got 10 agents, he can handle it. So, But I took it like, oh, now that they say it's your team, you're going to turn your back on your brother like that? It's just an ego thing. And, and ego can get you in trouble without communication. I was born and raised in Newark, New Jersey. I uh, left New Jersey when I was 11 years old, and uh, we moved to Germany. And when I was 13 years old, I'm in the house sitting on the couch, and my father storms in with a newspaper, and he throws it at me. Can I say ass on this show? You can say okay, you like. okay. I'm sitting on the couch. My father storms in about 5.36 with a paper in his hand, and he throws it at me get your ass up, maybe you can get a scholarship. And I'm like, what are you talking about? So I opened up the paper and Dale Brown, LSU basketball coach was coming to do a clinic for some of the soldiers. Get your ass up, we're going up there. So I get up there and I see all the boys in the gym that are really good players. And like, they're all looking at me like, what the hell is he doing there? Why you even come? You're like the worst player on the base and not having a lot of confidence. I sat in the back. And I listened to the man speak, and he was a wonderful speaker, and he had some great stories. So at the end of his speech, everybody was talking to him, getting autographs, doing what they do, and he was on his way out. And I grabbed him and I said, excuse me, sir. And I learned a smart word in a dictionary. Like when he said, my father said, get your ass up, you're gonna be the color coat. So I went in the dictionary and I just opened it up and I said, I need to get some smart words to make me sound smart so I can get a scholarship. So the word I came across was extremities. So I grabbed Coach Brown's arm and I said, excuse me, sir, 
can you send me a program to help me strengthen my lower extremities? He's like, sure, young man, extremities. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, and he said, how long you been in the army? And I was like, I'm not in the army, sir, I'm only 13. And his eyes got big like he saw, like he saw a guy that had a, a hundred million dollar check on his chest that said, touch me and it's yours. Like his eyes were like, you're what? Excuse me? I was like, sir, I'm only 13. He's like, where's your father? So I remember my father, they have a conversation. I want to offer your son a scholarship. My father uh, told him, he said, don't offer him a scholarship because he's a good basketball player. Offer him a scholarship because you want him to be an educated man. He says, okay. So they had a conversation and a week later, it was a scholarship offer. A guy that never even seen me play. So now when I get back to the States and I become the top high school player, oh, now everybody's calling now. North Carolina, North Carolina State, UNLV, Illinois. But I decided to go to LSU because when I was a nobody, this man offered me a scholarship. And I was close to the house, it was six hours away, so if I needed mommy to come down, she can come down. But that's why I attended LSU University because Dale Brown believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. When you don't believe in yourself and somebody else believes in you, then you should start believing. This is a ring I always tell people I'll never take off. It's not the original Hall of Fame ring. My father has that ring because all my NBA championship rings, I just give them to him. So my first championship ring, he's like, that's cool, but can you get another? And he, slammed, he didn't even look, he just slammed it. I'm like, oh, you don't think I can go back to back? Oh man, watch this. And I come home, daddy, I got two. All right, you did good. You almost lost that game seven versus Portland though. You did good. Can you get another one? Can you be a dynasty? See what you got. Big man, go win three. Do it one more time for me, son, please. Get four. Uh, that was the first time I actually seen him cry. When I, I got my fourth championship and you know, his uh, his words were, thanks for listening. Not good game or not, <laughs> just thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. As a youngster, I won all the trophies. I'd come home that day, the trophy be there. I come home the next day, it's not there, gone. And my father was the type of man, you don't question that. So in my mind, I was like, oh, you don't like that trophy? Okay, what, what season is this? Baseball. Daddy, I got another trophy. Oh, great job, son. Boom. Next day, it's gone. So finally, I, I, I asked him, but not as a youngster. I never asked him as a youngster. So I asked him when I was older, when I probably like my fourth, fifth year in the league, because I was helping to move some stuff, and it was a box with all my trophies. So I asked him, I said, why you never kept these? He said, I, I didn't want you to look at them and be satisfied. Go get another one. Go get another trophy. I don't ever want you to be satisfied. You got one. I want you to get two. You got two, I just want you to just keep doing, keep doing it till you can't do it no more. That right there really, really pushed me. So when he passed away, I went and got all the trophies and I dedicated a room in my house in his honor. So I finally get to see all, all my trophies and all my plaques. I learned from my father, never be satisfied. Save big money in your next project with help from Menards. Move water where you need it quickly with a Barracuda sump pump.
Some pumps keep your basement dry when big storms hit unexpectedly. Get a half-horsepower cast-iron Barracuda sump pump on sale now through May 5th. Hurry into Menards. And don't forget to check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. I have a lot of friends that are super, super rich. And look at how they treat their kids. The ones that give their kids everything, kids are doing bad. The ones that uh, the ones that make their make their kids work, the kids turn out to be, be 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 great people. My favorite nepotism story is Nick and Mickey Arison. Mickey Arison owns the Miami Heat. He has a son, Nick Arison. Nice young kid, attended Duke University. So uh, I'm reading an article in the paper that said that the grandma left each kid when they turned 18, uh, $100 million and I think 10 or 15% of the team. So I'm like, wow. So a couple of weeks, couple of days later, I'm, I, I come in to shoot late at night and Nick Arison is cleaning up the locker room. I'm like, huh? And I, I was getting ready to ask her, what the hell are you doing? But I'm like, I'm just, sitting back and then, you know, you see him the next time, you see him outside with, with the marketing people, handing out tickets, handing out shirts, handing out gifts. You know, you see him in, in the community, handing out toys and doing this and doing that. And then finally, uh, I think my, my last year there, I saw him upstairs working in the marketing department. Like I never seen him in a suit his first three years. Kids were four hundred million. I never seen him in a suit. The way Mickey handled that situation, and I'm, I'm gonna do it the exact same way. Like his father could have said at 18, when his grandmother gave him 100 million, just come work upstairs. But no, I've seen this kid really work, work from, from the bottom. That's how I do my kids. Like I, I tell them all the time that ain't gonna be no easy ride. And like I tell them, you're gonna have to get two degrees to touch my cheese. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I ain't giving you nothing. <laughs> to this day, Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant's on-court partnership remains one of the most complicated in all of sports. During their time together on the Los Angeles Lakers, Shaq and Kobe won three consecutive championships. But off the court, Shaq and Kobe were a different story. Over time, their relationship became strained as Kobe wanted to prove that he could win on his own. Today, Shaq looks back and sees their partnership with clearer eyes. Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal on the court had a perfect relationship. Off the court, at times we bumped heads. It happens. Uh, one of my uh, professors from uh, Barry University, Dr. Kopp, he did his thesis on the Beatles and I read it. And I never knew that John Lennon and Paul McCartney had problems. I never knew that. They bumped heads all the time. But guess what? They're one of the greatest acts of all time. Shaq and Kobe had problems. But guess what? We're the most dominant Laker one-two punch little guy, big man ever in the history of the Lakers. And that goes for Magic and Kareem also. No disrespect. It, it doesn't get more enigmatic, more eccentric as the relationship Kobe and I had. And the crazy thing about it is we would only go back at each other through the media. That's what a lot of people don't realize. 
Kobe's guy was Jim Gray. So he'd say something to Jim, and Jim would say it on TV. And my guy was Jim Hill. I would say something. And it was always like little, little shots. Ah, uh, Shaq's not rebounding. Well, I'm not going to rebound if you're taking all the shots. But in practice, we never had a problem. I finally asked Phil, why, why you never stopped it? He said, because both of you guys pushed each other, same way Michael and Scotty did. So it happens. And as a leader, I had to either focus on the task or focus on the relationship. And, you know, when you focus on the task, like if, like if this is a graph, when you focus on the task, relationship dwindles. And if you focus on the relationship, the task dwindles. I'm trying to win a championship. Doesn't matter if you like me. So a lot of people ask me, would I change the way me and Kobe? No. We did what we were supposed to do. Won three in a row. Went to the final four out of five years. It don't get no better than that. We both definitely respect each other. You know how I know he respected me? Game seven. We're down. I'm telling Kobe, hey, man, I'm open. I got you, I got you. He crosses up Scottie Pippen, and he catches eye contact with me like, okay, this is the one you wanted. He throws it up super, super, super high. I have to go up and get it and throw it down, puts it up by five, and I know we're going to win. We're going to the final. You see me running down the court. I'm pointing up at my son, Sharif, because he was two years old at the time, and he came to me before the game, gave me a kiss on the lips and said, Daddy, I need you to win the game. When we were down 15, I was like, man, not only am I going to lose, it's going to be my fault. I'm going to let my first son down. So Kobe throws a lob. I go up and get it. The place goes crazy. You don't think Kobe respects me? If you go back to the footage, the championship, who jumps in my arm? Kobe Bryant. Like a little, like a little seven-year-old, dad went to the military and then he came home surprisingly, jumped in my arm. So we always respected each other. And as a man, you know, when, two, when you got two alpha males going at it, you're not gonna always get along. The key word, the key component, when you're on a team, when you're in a relationship, when you have business partners, one word, respect. You don't have to like a person, but you gotta respect them. One time in Newark, New Jersey, we were living in the uh, projects and I was upstairs and I was watching the Hulk. And the Hulk was strong and I was always a big, strong kid. So I don't know what possessed me to go outside and see the first car rip off the windshield wiper, rip off the mirror, take a rock and bust the glass. Yeah, I, I just did. I, I, don't, I don't know what I was thinking. And happened to be one of the neighbor's cars and I, I, I got a... I got a really big spanking for that one. My father did whatever it took to make sure that I maintained down the correct path. He was hard on me as a youngster. And, you know, I always, uh, always asked him, I said, why are you so hard on me? And he, his answer was always the same. I want you to be better than me. I want you to be a leader, not a follower. We're here in Newark, New Jersey. I don't want you to be like the rest of these cats hanging on the corner. You're going to be somebody. I have two uncles that are on my control panel. What I mean control panel is they keep me out of trouble. Uh, Uncle Mike and Uncle Jerome were police officers in Newark, New Jersey. Uncle Mike was my favorite uncle because, you know, after being in trouble and, you know, being on punishment all the time, Uncle Mike and my father had a good relationship. Uncle Mike was a police officer, so he would come and he'd pick me up and he would just reiterate what my father said. Like, why'd you go downstairs and bust a window out of a car what are you doing? You know you can go to jail for that? Takes me to the jail, and you know, he shows me the conditions of the jail, and it's like, hey, 
If you don't go down the right path, you're going to be like some of your relatives. You're going to be like some of your relatives, and you're going to be like some of these other high-level juvenile delinquents right here. Stay out of trouble. Uncle Jerome was his partner. So when I uh, uh, got drafted, and you know, I, I needed that, I needed that voice in my ear at all times. Uh, father was getting older. I needed a voice that, that when that voice spoke, it'd be the voice that could calm me down, whatever I'm doing. Because when you're 19 years old and, and your first check is $40 million, and then you get another $50 million and another $20 million, you know, you can easily go down the wrong path. So I told Uncle Mike and Uncle Jerome, you know, you're, you're living up there in Newark, New Jersey. It's getting very dangerous. I don't want people shooting at you guys. Come manage me and, and you know, come come help me build the Shaq brand. And we've been, uh, we've been doing that since 1992. But before I hired Uncle Mike, I had a year by myself. And I always tell people this story. I spent a million dollars in 30 minutes. I get a check for a million dollars from my trading car company. In my mind, I thought I had the million. I forgot about the agent fees. I, I forgot about FICA. I forgot about state tax and sales tax. So I probably netted like 700000 But I didn't know that. I thought I had $1 million. So I always wanted a black-on-black Mercedes-Benz. If you get a black-on-black Mercedes-Benz in the hood, you made it. So I go get it. Boom, 150000 Like, And then I also had no negotiating skills. Whatever it said on, on the sticker, Guy was like 150. I mean, you know, I probably could have got it for 129 or 130. He said 150. All right, I got a million. Because in my mind, 150 minus a million, I still got 850 left. I'm still good. So I get home. My father said, That's nice. Where's mine at? I was like, You know what? You're right. So if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here right now. Me and him, we get in the car, go get the exact same car for him. We get home. My mom's a little jealous. Where's mine at? You know what? Spend three hundred thousand, three hundred minus a million. I got seven hundred left. If I buy this one, okay, we're good. If I buy it, so we go and we get her the smaller Benz version. So we got three Benzes, and and then after that, after I drop them off, I was like, I need some jewelry. So I, I buy a big old diamond ring similar to this one right here. I get another ring for the other hand. I get a bracelet. I get some diamond earrings. I get a necklace. And I said, like, Oh, the draft is coming up. Let me get some suits. I got some suits. Oh, I'm moving to LA, so let me get some some fancy clothes and let me get a high rise in downtown San Antonio that that pays nine thousand a month. And I get a call the next day from the uh, uh, from the uh, a bank manager, and he says, "I uh, need to have a conversation with you." So I come up there and shows me the spreadsheet of where all the money went. He says, "Shaq, you know, athletes when they're done playing, it's a large percentage that that have nothing." So I've been following your career. You're a bright, young star. I don't want you to be like that. You need to learn how to take care and manage your money. You know, General Eisenhower said, the greatest leaders are the ones smart enough to have people smarter than them around them. I got a lot of smart people around me. My father, Philip Arthur Harrison, was a big supporter of helping people. One day, my father gets some extra money from working an extra job. Uh, he was... He was stationed in, in Fort Monmouth, New Jersey, while we were living in Newark, and he'd come home on the weekends. But he'd also drive U-Haul trucks on the weekend to get extra money. So he gets some extra cash, and he comes in and happy. So he looks at me, he's like, let's go out. Let's go to a restaurant. So now when I say restaurant, I don't mean Houston's. <laughs> I don't mean that type of restaurant. It's McDonald's, Burger King. So his favorite, my favorite, was White Castle. So he gets six double cheese, and I'm trying to be like him. I get six. We're eating, laughing, talking in the car. 
we couldn't finish him. So there's like four left. So my father sees a guy, homeless guy, and you know, he's in, he's in bad shape, but he has a sign that says army vet will work for food. So my father makes a U-turn and gives him the food. And I'm, I'm looking at him like, I could have ate that later. I love White Castle. And he said, no, this guy needs it more than we do, you know? And then, you know, and you know, he, he would always say, because it was a point in my career where I was an okay player and, you know, we didn't know how he was going to turn out. So he didn't want to, he didn't want to blow, blow, you know, smoke in my ear. So he would always say, if you ever make it big time, if you ever make it big time, you should help those in need. You should always help those in need. So I'm in Orlando and my mother, you know, she does a lot, a lot for the Boys and Girls Club of America. So she goes uh, to visit one in, in Orlando. It's like a thousand kids there. And basically the kids are saying, hey, we're not getting anything for Christmas. And my mother does something that she never does. So she calls me and said, baby, uh, can I borrow some money? So like being that she never does that, I was like, mommy, what's wrong? And she said, I went to the Boys and Girls Club and these kids are not getting any toys. And you know, a man that loves his mother will always do whatever it takes to make his mother smile. So I, I stopped her, I said, mommy, don't worry about it, I'll take care of it. So me and my Uncle Mike and my Uncle Jerome on the way home, it happened to be a U-Haul uh, truck place right there. Uncle Mike grabbed the truck, Uncle Jerome grabbed the truck, I grabbed the truck, and we just went to Toys R Us and we just wiped them out. Wiped them out. And I'm proud to say that we've, we've been doing the uh, Shaka Claus uh, for 25 years, and we've been doing the Shaq's Givings also for 25 years, feeding homeless people. Criticism is a double-edged sword. Could either crush you or propel you. As a youngster, I stuttered. Bad. Could never get it out. I got into a lot of fights, a lot of altercations because of my stutter, but I learned to get over it. You know, when, when I was in college, I started to gain mental power. People say, oh, you're not that good, you're not gonna make it. And then my mental power was just then I become a high school All-American. I become one of the most dominant college players ever. I become the first pick in the draft. I become the best big man in the game. So before I react to criticism, I turn off my feelings and I think about it and I say, oh, okay, all right, you don't think I can win championships because I shoot 57% from the free throw line? And then, no need to talk back. Just prove them wrong. You know, for every action, there's a reaction. And a lot of time, my reaction is making you eat your words. So I, I love criticism. So keep criticizing me, please. It only makes me become a better person. There's always mentors out there. I don't have to be somebody that's famous or somebody that has a lot of money. One of my mentors was a, a Newark police detective. Two of them. They didn't have a lot of money. But they had a lot of knowledge. Tell you stories that'll change your life. However, if you don't have that, look around. Look at look at what you think success is and aim for that. Man, this dude got this dude got twenty-five Krispy Kreme franchise. How you do it? Look it up. Figure it out how he did it. Google him. Read a story and copy it. Figure it out. Figure it out. That's the simple, direct philosophy that Shaquille now lives by. As a kid, he learned the hard way that his massive physical stature was not enough to take him to great heights. So he turned to mentors who could teach him how to maximize his potential. 
At the top of that list, Shaq's stepfather, the man Shaq has always called dad, Sergeant Philip Arthur Harrison. Throughout all his success, his dad always made sure that the big fella never got a big head. The truth is, Shaq has a giant heart, and he is the first one to give his teachers the credit they deserve. This is my Hall of Fame ring. It was something that I knew I was going to receive because Sergeant Philip Arthur Harrison told me you will be in the Hall of Fame. My play in the league, 19 years, I would have to call him for every game so he'd tell me what to do. You know, you're going up against Dave Robinson. You know that boy like to run the floor. So I hope you got your rest last night because you need to be ready. You know, you're going up against Alonzo Mourning. He was number two. He, he felt he should have been number one. You know, he's going to be trying to outdo you. So, like, I would have to call him for every game to hear his voice. You know, being that my, my jersey was hung in the Lake Arena, I knew that. I knew that because my father said, this will happen. Oh, you want to be a great player? Do this. You want to be the best big man ever? Do this. You over here sweating Magic and Kareem, you'll be just as good as them if you listen to me. Man, I'm glad I listened. I'm glad I listened every time. Because my parents were fortune tellers. Everything that's happened to me, they told me it would happen just like it's happened. And I'm glad I was a listener. I'm glad that I was able to put my arrogance aside. Because there's a lot of guys that when they make it, oh, they forget. Oh, they forget. <laughs> a lot of people that forget, and I never forget. You know, I, I realize who, who programmed me. My mother is like Steve Jobs. You see what she built? Do you see what she, do you see this? The black apple. That's, that's what I am. <laughs> I'm like the black apple. So all this stuff was told to me before. Each and everything that's happened to me. Even, 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 even doing movies. Like I'd be watching movies and my mama coming from being on punishment. What you doing? Man, I wish I could do a movie like that. Oh, you will one day, baby. And she closed the door. I ain't gonna never do no movie, mommy. Stop playing. You know, I'll be in my room on the turntable, DJing and, and rapping. And what do you, turn that thing down. Oh, I'm working on my show. You can do a show, you're pretty good at that. I would actually like to come see you do a show. Stop it, mommy, close the door. I've been told that for 35 years. Ever since age 10, I've been told that if you listen to me, if you be a leader and not a follower, you know, if you help people, you know, if you believe in your dreams, all, anything you want to accomplish can be accomplished. When my mother watches this, she's going to have the biggest smile ever. That's what it's all about. And any son that doesn't try to make his mother smile, you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> Shaquille O'Neal, for your dominant career on the court and your larger-than-life persona off the court, you, sir, are a master. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Masterclass, the podcast. You can follow Masterclass on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't already, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Masterclass podcast. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack, fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30.